Well, good morning. Like Richard said, if I haven't met you before, my name is Michael. Maybe need some WD-40 on this thing right here. Um, yeah, I one of the, get the privilege to be one of the pastors and elders at Veritas. And um, man, it's always a joy to be here and to see faces that I don't get to see every week. Um, and a lot of new faces that every time I come up here, I love seeing uh, all the new faces in here. And so if you got a Bible this morning, go ahead and turn with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. While you're turning there, um, we live in an area of the country where it is still fairly acceptable to call yourself a Christian, right? Obviously, there are, there are specific examples that wouldn't, that wouldn't be the case. Um, And then other areas of the country, for sure, you're like, ah, I'm going to get ridiculed. I'm going to get mocked because of my faith in Christ. But here, thankfully, right, it's an encouraging thing that we can still call ourselves Christians in most areas of our lives. And nobody's going to look down on you necessarily. Again, I know there's some specific examples, but not many people are going to look down on you this morning for saying you went to church, right? Like, that's a good thing. So, We live in this world, I think it's a really encouraging thing, but I think it's a dangerous thing for us. I think it's a dangerous thing because we can kind of snuggle up next to this version of Christianity where there's not a lot of pushback, there's not a lot of ridicule, and it can make us feel really good, but it may give us a false sense of security. Where it's like, oh, I love coming to church. I love being a Christian. Love it. But the rest of my life doesn't align with that. It feels really good in the moment. But to play my faith out into everyday life, I'm like, I'm not really for that. But because it's still acceptable, we don't think anything of it. And the problem is, is that our faith oftentimes doesn't align with the rest of our lives or our lives don't align with what we're calling faith and so James has been addressing this all throughout this book we've made it all the way into chapter two now it's been a while but we made it into chapter two and in this book James has been addressing how authentic faith works itself out I call myself a Christian I have genuine faith if I have genuine faith this is how it plays itself out into real life however some of the people he's addressing in here have been deceived and they've been deceived into thinking that their faith is real but there's no evidence to support that in their lives no evidence at all so what James has kind of been doing has been putting authentic faith on trial So I want you to picture something with me. I want you to pretend, imagine that you are in a courtroom right now. It's bland. No pictures on the walls. It's just, you you know, it's cold. And you're the one on the witness stand because you're the defendant. And you've got to defend your faith because the accusation against you is that you're a fake Christian. You are a fake Christian. And God, through James, is kind of the prosecutor. And he's looking and he's trying to say, hey, if you have real faith, if your faith is genuine, there are certain ways that it should play itself out. So he started the book by saying, hey, if you are a genuine believer, 
If you have real faith, then your faith is going to play itself out. When you go through trials, you consider it a joy. You don't try to escape the trials. You are in the midst of those trials trying to figure out, okay, God, what are you trying to do? How are you trying to grow me in the midst of this? Because that's what authentic faith looks like. And authentic faith, when you face various temptations in life, you don't give in to those things. You go, man, God, I want to honor you. I want to honor you with my life. Because that's what authentic faith does. In the midst of uh, temptation, it doesn't give birth to sin that leads to death. Authentic faith also, when the gospel is preached, you receive the word of God. You don't push back against it. And then Jordan was here couple weeks ago and in the near the end of James 1 what you have is hey if there is authentic faith in your life it's going to play itself out by you showing compassion for the helpless and caring deeply for your holiness like this is how authentic faith plays itself out and then last week Jake talked about how do you treat other people if you say you have faith it should affect the way that you treat other people And he said, I don't want you showing partiality. I don't want you showing favoritism. And many of you remember the scenario, right? There's a gathering similar to this. A guy walks in. This is the the made up kind of scenario that James is saying. Hey, what if a guy walks in? He's got a gold ring on. He's got these really fine clothes. And you go, oh, you sit here in this great seat. And then a poor man walks in. Says in shabby clothing. And you're like, hey, hey, hey you need to sit back here in the back or you need to sit at my feet and serve me. James is going, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not how authentic faith treats other people. And he's actually going to kind of double down on that and what we look at again this week. He's not going to let up on this showing partiality issue because remember last week, the whole reason behind why we shouldn't show partiality is because we treasure God more than we treasure what the world has to offer. Like, oh, I don't, I'm not valuing people's, what people look like. Like, oh man, are you kidding me? There's so much more to that. So it's don't show partiality. This is why you shouldn't par- show partiality because you value God more than you value the world. Um, more than you value the world. But this week he's going to take it a step further. It's not just don't do it and why they shouldn't do it, but what's a better way to operate? What is a better way to operate? If your faith is authentic, what is a better way to treat people? Now, um, maybe this will help get that across. I have four kids. Uh, We've we've spent a lot of time teaching them about how to cross the street, right? Right? Our, the, the neighborhood pool or the kind of the city pool is across the street from our house. They love going to the pool during the summer, right? And so they're excited when they leave our house and they want to take off running through our little cul-de-sac across a pretty busy street. Now, I could just say, don't run in the street. I've said that many times, louder than that at times, right? Don't run in the street. Don't do that. And then I could, and then what's the first question they're all going to ask? Why, dad? Why? Right? Well, because you could get hit by a car and you could get injured really bad or you could die. 
right? Like we're just really blunt with our kids sometimes. Like that's what's going to happen to you. If you take off across the street, this is what's going to happen. So I could say, don't do it. This is why you shouldn't do it. But the better option for me is to say, hey, let me instruct you how you should actually do it though. Don't just not do it. And don't just know that it's going to end bad if you do it that way, potentially. But I'm going to give you a better way. When you start across the street, you start walking. And then when you get to that cross street, you look both ways. And if you don't see a car coming, then you walk across the street. It's a better way to do it. That's what James is trying to get at here. Don't just not show partiality. And I know that you understand why not to do it. But let me give you a better way. So what is that better way? James chapter 2 verses 8 through 13 is where we're going to start. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So I want you to go back to the courtroom setting for a little bit. And you're on the stand And it's James as the prosecutor. What he's trying to do as any good prosecutor, you're anticipating the defense of what the person on the stand. Like if I can anticipate their arguments, I'm going to get ahead of them, right? And so what James is trying to say is, hey, I know where you're going. I've said don't show partiality and that because that's not what authentic faith looks like. And the first defense is a really goofy one. Well, I'm just loving my neighbor. Like, I'm just treating wealthy people really well. That's loving your neighbor, right? Like, that's a goofy argument. Because what about the poor person? But that's what he says first here in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. You're doing well. If you are truly living like that, and you are loving your neighbor as yourself, that is a great thing. James, like, if that's what you have going on in your life, man, that's really good. That is really good. You're doing really well. Now, why is it so good? Because he attaches it to the royal law. Attaches it to the royal law. And this is what royal means there. Belonging to and leading to the king. Belonging to and leading to the king. There is a law, love your neighbor as yourself, that belongs to the king and it's going to lead you to the king. Now, who's the king? God. There's, there's a law that belongs to him, that leads to him, loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, how do we know this came from God? Because it started all the way back in Leviticus, where you read every single day in your Bible reading plan, right? Leviticus, that's what I'm dying to read, Leviticus. But in Leviticus 19, 15 through 18, God says this. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor, or defer to the great. Sound familiar here? But in righteousness shall, shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. 
I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says again, I am the Lord. So from the Old Testament, we get this law coming out, like love your neighbor as yourself. Don't treat the poor impartially. Don't treat people based on their appearances. And then Jesus is going to step that up. In Matthew chapter 22, many of you know this story. In Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40, this is what happens. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced, he being Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So God has set this up in Leviticus. Hey, love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus down the road is trying to get trapped into a question or the lawyer is trying to trap him into something. Like, hey, hey, there's a lot of laws, Jesus. You tell me which one's the most important. And he's thinking there's no way Jesus can narrow all these laws down into just one. And he goes, well, the first one comes really quickly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The idea is like treasure God above everything else in your life. And goes back to what we talked about last week. If, if you value God above everything else, you're not going to treat people with favoritism. It's not how God's treated you. And then he says, the second one's like, like it. Love your neighbor, neighbor as yourself. This is an overflow of the first one, right? I'm going to love God and that's going to overflow in how I love people. So this is a royal law that is good if you follow it. It belongs to the king. Jesus summed it up. This is how all the law is summed up. It's given by the king. It's confirmed by the king. So for James, as he's teaching his audience and writing this letter to his audience, he's saying, hey, guys, if you really love your neighbor as yourself, and you're doing a really good thing, you're doing a great thing. You are purely completing what Jesus demands of your life, what King Jesus demands of your life. But, verse 9, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So he contrasts this whole loving your neighbor thing. He says, if you show partiality based on your appearance, based, or based on their appearance, based on class or weight or color or age or attractiveness or ethnicity, he says, you have committed sin and you are convicted by the law as a transgressor. So if you keep the royal law, great, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're showing partiality, man, you, you've sinned. Now, you guys are smart people. A lot of you are going, that's great, Michael, I get it. Why are we spending two weeks talking about showing partiality, showing favoritism? Like, doesn't our world have much bigger problems? Like, there are wars 
and there's terrorism and there's division and there's gender confusion and there's all these things. Why are we going to spend two weeks talking about showing partiality and favoritism? Why is this such a big deal to James? Because if James goes back into that courtroom and he's anticipating the next excuse or the next offense, what the audience could be saying is, come on, James, you know I'm a Christian. You know I'm a Christian, James. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't cheated on my spouse. You know I'm a Christian, right? Let's see what verses 10 and 11 say. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So he gives this principle in verse 10 and then then he gives an example of it in verse 11. Because if you're putting your life under the authority of King Jesus and you're loving your neighbor as yourself, great. But what I need you to know is that you've got to keep 100% of the law 100% of the time. You have to keep 100% of the law 100% of the time. You have to have a perfect score forever in the law. Now, if you're like me, you're like, oh, that's a, that's a heavy weight. That's like crushing, right? If you put that, I got to carry, I got to be perfect in the law, all the law, all the time. Oh, that's just such a weight. You go, is he trying to like lower the bar of adultery and murder? No, 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 no. He's trying to raise the bar of all sins here, which makes sh- showing partiality and showing favoritism. You go, oh, now I know why it's a big deal. Because one adulterous act means you're an adulterer. One murder means you're a murderer. One broken law means you're a lawbreaker. Paul described it in Romans chapter 13 this way. He says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. You've done it. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. He's gripping all this. Like, you don't love your neighbor as yourself, or you covet, like, you've broken the law. And again, the excuse is, well, come on, James. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't cheated on my spouse. So why is this such a big deal? If you haven't killed anybody, you haven't cheated on your spouse, why is this such a big deal? Look at the first four words of verse 11 again. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. For he who said, these four words are transformative. He who said it. The one who gave the law. Who was the one who gave the law? God. Easy answer there, God. Who gave the law? God gave the law. He was the one that gave the law. So if you break a law, you have gone against God. You break a law, you have sinned against God. That is why disobeying a law is a big deal. 
because of who you are disobeying. Not just what you've done. It's not just about your simple action. It's about who you're going against. And I think what James is trying to do, trying to do here is say, there is a crowning attribute of our God. And I want you to know about it. And that crowning attribute that is, makes God so different is God's holiness. God's holiness. When I talk about holiness, I mean absolute moral purity. Morally flawless. There's nothing wrong. He's morally flawless in every single way. And because he is flawless, it has created a clear gap between him and humanity. Because he's holy. He's set apart. He's distinct. He's not like anything or anyone. This is the one characteristic in the scripture that gets repeated back to back to back. There's a lot of things that, a lot of characteristics that get repeated, right? You're gracious, God. You're, you're, whole, you're merciful, God. But his holiness gets holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Not peaceful, peaceful, peaceful is the Lord God Almighty. Is God peaceful? Yes. Gracious, 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 loving, loving, loving. None of that. What gets repeated over and over? Holy, holy, holy. You are so different from us, God. You are so distinct. This is why the sin of showing partiality and favoritism is such a big deal. Because who you sin against makes your sin far worse than your thoughts, your speech, or your actions. Your sin affects more than just your life. Affects more than just your mind. Affects more than just your spouse. Affects more than just your kids. Your sin is an unholy act against a holy God. That's why this is such a big deal. Our sin is far worse than we could ever imagine it being. It's deeper than just, oh, I broke the royal law. I broke the law I transgressed against the law. It's a transgression against a holy God, a direct, unrighteous, unholy offense against a morally flawless God. And there have been some who have been deceived into thinking, oh, well, I've avoided all the major sins. And because I've avoided all the major sins, I'm good. And when we start comparing ourselves to a terrorist, we go, oh, I feel great about myself. You start comparing yourself to your friend that cheated on their spouse. You feel pretty good about yourself. Ah, that's great. You start comparing ourselves to a holy God. You're like, oh, I fall short. I fall short. We like judge people based on their appearances, but our appearance before a holy God is anything but good apart from Jesus. Now, I know this is heavy thus far. Hang on, there's really good news coming, all right? You got to understand the bad news before you can really grasp how amazing the good news is, okay? So what James is saying here is like, don't show partiality. Don't show partiality. It's an offense against a holy God. But this is what I think James is trying to actually do. That's what he's saying, but this is what he's trying to actually do. He's trying to tell the believers that are all dispersed in all these different places that he's writing this letter to, take your sins seriously, Take your sins seriously. I think oftentimes we struggle with selective obedience though. Oh, I'll obey this law, but please don't 
address my laziness. Oh, I'm not going to kill anybody, but, but don't address my gluttony. And we selectively choose what we obey and we ignore the pride. We ignore the selfishness. We ignore the gossip because we think that just affects me and somebody else. No, it's a direct offense against a holy God. You're, I didn't rob a bank. But you aren't honest about your work hours each week. And you've cheated your company. Well, I haven't murdered anybody. But there's some of you in here that you hate somebody that's hurt you. You hate them. And God says that hate is an offense against the Holy God, against Him. Well, I haven't had an affair. But you won't turn off the sex scenes in your favorite TV shows. Because we don't take our sins seriously. Veritas, take your sin seriously. Take your sin seriously. Oh, well, but, but what now? Okay, I get it. Take my sin seriously. But what now? Is there a better way? Yesterday, um, I started putting up Christmas lights on our house, on the outside of our house. I don't love heights, okay? Don't love them. I can... I can handle climbing a ladder, but I don't want to be up there, you know, for a long time feeling like I'm hanging like this at some point, you know, that you're like, yeah, that's a terrible way to be on a ladder. So I've got my 12-year-old holding the ladder at the bottom, a 12-year-old that I'm trusting with my life that's very distracted. And I'm climbing. I was like, there's got to be a better way. And the better way is like, okay, get on the roof. I'm like, oh, this is great. Now I'm going to hang off the side and try to clip these little plastic clips on my roof. Like, that doesn't feel like a better way either. I'm like, these seem to be our only two options. These, neither one of these seem good. I'm either on the roof hanging off, I'm going to fall off and die, or I'm going to fall off the ladder and die. Like, those are the two options. Some of you are like, I do this every day. It's not that bad, Michael. In my heart and mind, it's that bad, Okay. If anyone wants to help me finish this afternoon, come on. I'm happy to have you climb up those. Yeah, anyway, I'll stop there. But the idea is like, oh, it just feels like there's two ways. Climb the ladder or get on the roof. What's the better option? I don't know. If you got a better option, tell me, okay? But the whole idea here is like, well, I get it. I shouldn't sin anymore. I shouldn't show partiality. Tell me a better way, please. There is a better way. Look at verses 12 and verse 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He's like, oh, you want to know how to live? You want to know how to live this loving your neighbor as yourself thing out? You need to speak and act a certain way. And the idea there is like, you need to keep speaking this way. You need to keep acting this way. How are you supposed to do it? A really strange way. I want you to so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Now, we cover the law of liberty back in chapter 1, verse 25, so I'm not going to spend time there. But this is a really strange thing. Okay, I want to love my neighbor as myself. So I'm supposed to speak and act accordingly. And I'm supposed to speak and act as those who are to be judged, who are to be, or who are about to be judged. That's weird, right? Like, wait a second. I'm supposed to think about my impending future judgment and that's supposed to help me understand how to treat people? 
Now, why does he talk about judgment here? It goes back to the beginning of chapter 2. Verse 1 and verse 4 says this. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And then he gives the scenario about the guy walking in with the gold ring. And then in verse 4 it says this. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become what? Judges with evil thoughts. So James has started this whole section about, hey, you've become judges yourselves. You're looking at people based on their appearance and based on the things that you want and value. And you're judging them. He's going, you've become judges. And now, here at the kind of end of this section, what he is saying is, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He's saying, you've become judges. You should pay attention because one day you're going to face judgment too. And your judgment's going to come from a holy God. And the way James has put it negatively there is this. You don't show mercy, God's not going to show you mercy. There's harsh judgment that's impending for all sinners. Now, here's my concern for Veritas. My concern is not for those of you in this room that you are a believer and you know that your life is in progress. You're not, we're not running after just perfection. Like we're running to be more like Jesus, who is the perfect one, right? Absolutely. But when we hear something like this, you go, oh, I'm terrible. God's not going to show me mercy one day, and it's all based on us. I'm not, I'm not concerned in a sermon like this, in a text like this, about you that go, like, man, I'm in progress. I love God. Sometimes I struggle to love people. I don't like that. I confess that when it happens. I repent of that. But my life is in progress and I want to love people and I want to treat people really, really well. Sometimes I struggle. That's not who I'm concerned when I read this text today. The ones I'm concerned about is, are the people in this room, you're on the fringe and you call yourself a Christian and it feels really good and you treat people horribly. You're okay discriminating against a different ethnicity. You're okay being racist. You go, oh, I'm a Christian, but the way you treat people doesn't represent Jesus well at all. You go, that's not that big of a deal. You make excuses. You defend it. You might even laugh about it. And a holy God would never. He says, you're going to be judged one day. You're going to be judged one day. And if you haven't shown mercy here on this earth, God's not going to show mercy to you. Now Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, we're not going to read it. He says this, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So he kind of spins it to the positive James half-brother Jesus, like James is going like, you don't show mercy, God's not going to show mercy to you. Jesus is saying, hey, blessed are the merciful. They're going to be shown mercy. But what we have to realize is that all people, 
Every single one of us are going to be judged one day. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, here's the really good news. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's good news. I want you to read that with me, all right? Like I want you to literally participate, all right? So on the count of three, we're going to read that one out loud. One, two, three. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you are feeling the weight here of all this law, I got to follow all the law. Because if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. No condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But judgment's still going to come. You're not going to get to avoid it. Because in fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says it this way. Paul says it. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, Jesus, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of, sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work has burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Like, there's going to be a judgment coming for all of us. But I want you to look back at the end of verse 13. Because if you are in Christ... This is what's true. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is victorious over judgment. Now, this is not just saying like God's going to like universally say like, oh, I don't care about sins. Like mercy's going to triumph. Like, no, he's saying for those of you that are in Christ Jesus, that have broken the law, mercy will triumph over judgment. We all deserve the judgment of a holy God. We all deserve the wrath of God. We all deserve not to enter the kingdom of God. But what's mercy? Not getting what you deserve. Not getting what you deserve. God is merciful because he withholds his wrath from the Christian. Why? Let's go back to the courtroom one last time. So you're in that courtroom and all these things are coming at you, this prosecution, and they're just, just hammering you over and over and over. And you're feeling the weight and you're kind of sliding down further and further in your seat because you feel the weight of all this law that you have not been able to fulfill. And God, as the judge, stands up and he goes, guilty. You deserve death. But all of a sudden you see a side door open and some young person walks out and he goes, you deserve death, but this is my son and he's going to die in your place. That's the good news of the gospel because that is exactly what God has done for us. We've all broken the law. Even if we've only shown favoritism one time we've broken the law and God says you deserve death you deserve my wrath you should never enter my kingdom 
But instead of pouring my wrath and my judgment upon you, I'm going to pour it on my own son, Jesus, on the cross. Man, that's good news. That is such good news. Believer, you will face judgment. And that's not one of those things we just wake up in the morning going, all right, today I'm going to think about judgment, right? I hope you don't do that. When you think of God's judgment as a Christian, though, what I want you to think of is like, oh, the judgment of God, but the mercy of God. The mercy of God is so good. It's so good. In Luke chapter 10, it's not going to be on the screens, but we have this story many of you are familiar with about the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? There's a guy that is robbed and beaten and he's left for dead. And these religious people walk by, they don't help him, but then the Samaritan, the one that's different from him, walks by and helps him. Oh, he just takes care of him, goes above and beyond, shows him grace. And at the end of that, in Luke chapter 10, verse 36, Jesus asked the question to his disciples. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Proved to be a neighbor. Remember this whole thing, royal law, loving your neighbor as yourself? Verse 37, he said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. We always look at that story. And when we look at that story, like, oh, I got to be the good Samaritan. We need to look at that story as the guy who was beaten and left for dead. And God, as the good Samaritan, picked us up and showed us mercy. He goes, and if you've been shown that kind of mercy, now you go and you do likewise. You love your neighbor as yourself. You've received mercy. Now you extend that mercy to other people. Don't show partiality. Don't show favoritism. You extend mercy. You extend compassion. Because that is what Jesus has done for you. Guys, we can't know the magnitude of mercy until we realize the weight of judgment that we all deserved. But when we recognize the mercy of God, we go, oh, how could I, how could I treat people poorly? God's treated me this way? Like one day I'm going to stand before a holy God and be judged And that judgment is not going to be based on my behavior, but the verdict that comes down is going to be based on what Jesus did and his righteousness. Man, that's amazing. That is such good news. So this is what I want you to remember today. Treat others today how God will treat you in the future. Treat other people today how God's going to one day treat you in the future. One day, if you are in Christ, God's going to say, judgment should be yours, but I put it on my son. I'm extending mercy to you. And James is saying, remember that. The next time that you are tempted to put judgment on somebody else, to judge their outward appearance, I want you to remember that mercy triumphs judgment. So the next time you're tempted to be racist, remember the mercy that God's shown you. The next time you're 
tempted to discriminate against some other ethnicity or somebody that looks different than you, remember the mercy that God has shown you. Veritas, take your sin seriously. We all must do that. Take your sin seriously. Then I want you to think about judgment. But as soon as you think about judgment, you quickly think about God's mercy. And then you treat people according to that. And imagine the church that we would be that we would be known outside the walls of this room. Imagine what kind of church people would think of us. Man, those people, they take their holiness really seriously and they take loving people really seriously. And they always keep talking about this mercy and this grace and this love of their God and this compassion about their God because they take that just as seriously. And it overflows to your coworkers. It overflows to your family. It overflows to the family that you're going to see this week on Thanksgiving that you don't like hanging out with. The one that you're like, I'd rather not hang out with that person this week because I know we're going to get into a debate about politics or we're going to get into a debate about something else. And before you freak out and go, I don't want to do this at all. This week, you remember the mercy that God showed you and you extend that mercy to someone else. That's the kind of church we want to be. Amen? Let's pray. God, you are incredibly merciful to us. Father, may we never forget that mercy. God, we deserve judgment and wrath if not for Jesus. Father, thank you for Jesus this morning. Help us, Lord, through power of your spirit to love others as we love ourselves to extend mercy and compassion to others because mercy triumphs judgment may that be the way that we live our lives we pray all this in jesus name amen